All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we are live again with the Boca Podcast. I am your host, Nathan Holritz, and it's good to have you here. It's been a few days since the last episode. We're doing one today. This is 12 noon on Wednesday, and then we're going to do another one later this evening, kind of an unusual evening episode, another live episode. If you are listening to the audio version of this after the fact, do know that we stream all of our Boca Podcast episodes live if you go to youtube.com slash Boca Podcast and uh, facebook.com slash book a podcast. And if you are watching live, please join the conversation today. Ask questions, comment. You can send us funny emojis if you want to, but we'd love for this to be a group discussion. That's one of the, the benefits of these live streams is being able to engage with our guests who I'm going to introduce here in just a second. Um, as I promised I would do with every episode before today's episode, I made a, a small donation to Charity Water. I'll just pop up the receipt like I told you I would. Um, just a way to encourage you all as well to look for opportunities to give back in your local community or to national or international organizations. It's amazing how even just a little bit of money can go a long way. And um, Charity Water has been an organization I've been giving to for a little bit. But I just want to throw that out there. Just encourage everybody to look for those opportunities. It's a great thing to do. And you know, if, if we're watching or listening to these episodes on a $1,000 phone or a $3,000 laptop, we can probably give a few bucks somewhere and make a difference. So just want to encourage you with that. Enough of my monologue. Uh, I want to introduce our special and brand new guest for today. Braden Drake is here with me. Braden, thank you for coming to hang out with me today and, and bringing the fancy camera and audio with you too. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you. I don't know. The audio could probably use an upgrade, but the camera we have finally have dialed in. So that's good. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, anytime we have camera with like Boca and you've, you've actually got like a dedicated light going on and a, and a mic in front of you, I, I feel like we're upgrading. So thanks for just adding to the experience of the Boca podcast. Of course, of course. And we also have a bit of a unique perspective from you in that you're not a photographer. We haven't, I mean, this is, we're, we're kind of lucky in that we haven't had a lot of non-photographers on this show, so I appreciate you being willing to kind of break into or break the mold a little bit and join the conversation today. One that I, I'm sure you probably have heard endless jokes about this, <laughs> this conversation around taxes. It's not one that a lot of people like to talk about, but it's a reality that we all have to deal with. And I, I know, and I've, I've commented on this before in the podcast, one of my biggest uh, failings, I guess you could say, as a photography business owner when I was shooting was not being more proactive in the way that I was dealing with my finances and specifically my taxes. And I paid for it literally. And so I try to encourage our listeners to be more proactive in that regard. I'm glad that we get to actually have a conversation today about some of the top mistakes photographers are making as it relates to their taxes. And we're going to get to that here in just a little bit. I appreciate you making time to share with our listeners though. Yeah, of course. What I always tell people is, it might not be that fun, but it's not going to get any more fun than this. That's my promise. <laughs> Fair enough. But the thing that I've found, and I'm sure we can talk about this more later too, but I, I tend to build it up in my head. And so mm -hmm. that, that kind of innate fear, the nervousness, or oh, I got to deal with numbers and numbers aren't my favorite thing that, that really, I, I mean, I put myself in this, this really bad position because of really unnecessary fear, because most of the time, when I go to do, whether it was, you know, let's call it paying um, the monthly sales tax, for example, it, it took all of like 20 minutes to actually do it. And I was done. It was so simple and so easy, but I just build it up in my head and make this big deal out of that and stress out about it. And it was totally unnecessary. It seems like, at least my experience has been that most of the stuff's not as difficult or as hard as we make it out to be, as long as we're proactive about it. 
Right. Yeah. You just got, I mean, the main thing is you have to like learn what your obligations are, learn how to go about them. And then from there, you just kind of have to rip the bandaid and do it like a lot of, <laughs> like a lot of tasks in life. Right. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. Well, we'll come back to that conversation here in just a little bit. Um, and this is kind of fun. We were talking about this before we, we went live, but normally we have photographers on this show. I thought it still made sense to ask kind of our introductory questions like we normally do because you're a business owner and I'd love to get your take on this from a little bit different perspective. By the way, just add this little bit of kind of backstory. I'm curious, you're you're both a, an attorney and an accountant. Is that kind of how you label yourself? Like the fact that you do both is kind of amazing. Yeah, kind of, but not really. So technically okay. I'm an attorney, I'm a licensed attorney. And I have a master's degree in tax law. We call it an LLM. Okay. That makes me a tax attorney, technically. Um, most people don't know what tax attorneys do. So I call <laughs> myself a business attorney and tax consultant is how I label myself. Well, let, that's actually a great segue to my first question, which is about brand position. So how, I mean, it seems like, I, I don't know, maybe being a tax attorney isn't, it's not a crowded marketplace. I'm not sure. You tell me. But at least the tax world in general, it's a very crowded space, right? So how do you yes. set yourself apart? What is your business's brand position? Well, it really from like the legal perspective, so we can kind of like look at both these different angles. From the legal perspective, I try to position myself between like DIY services like LegalZoom, which I think do a disservice to a lot of people, and then hiring a one-on-one -on -one attorney because most of my offerings are educational in nature, so I'm teaching people how to fill in the gaps. I give templates, tutorials, uh, resources, all those types of things. So filling in that gap in the market. And then I guess the same thing for the tax side of things. You can either totally do it on your own or you can hire a CPA um, or you can do it on your own with help, which oftentimes I find to be the best avenue for a lot of people because... Um, just hiring everything out and trusting someone completely is not going to be your best option if you hmm. don't know how to audit the work that they're doing. Okay. So yeah, this is an interesting point of conversation. We get into it quite a bit when it comes to photographers and outsourcing their editing. There's some benefit to at least understanding the basis for the workflow before you then delegate that work. And I, I guess that probably holds true to most things that we delegate, right? Uh, it, having some baseline understanding yeah. of the conversation so you can at least comment on it. Yeah, and I think editing editing is a good good anal like it's a good analogy, right? Because it's like if you're a brand new photographer, you're gonna say maybe I'm gonna learn learn how to take the photos, but then I'm gonna hire someone to do the editing, right? Well, you have to at least know enough to give them direction. Of course, that's not completely analogous because in this case, like you're never gonna try to become as knowledgeable in tax as the person that you're hiring, but you at least want to know enough to know are they filing my sales taxes on time? What are my obligations? Are they paying? Uh, are they advising me on my quarterly taxes correctly? Um, also, you have to keep in mind that there are certain life events that can trigger different tax scenarios. Like if you get a, mm. a pay raise, you start making more money, you need to start saving more. Mm -hmm. And typically, your CPA, your, your tax professional is not checking in with you on the weekly or monthly basis. So at a minimum, you need to be able to like raise the issue with them. Oh, this thing happened. Where do we go from here? Okay. Yeah. And this is where, again, I fell short as a, as a business owner, particularly as a photographer years ago, where I just, 
I was so apprehensive. I didn't, I didn't grow up with a lot of money. So then when I started dealing with the money, it was exciting to get these big checks from clients, but then like dealing with having to pay the taxes and understand that like the technical side of that, what it meant. I don't know. I, for whatever reason, I just built this up in my head. I just wasn't proactive. So de- developing a little bit of knowledge through conversation with a professional like yourself and being engaged in that conversation a little bit, again, just taking it head on rather than hiding from it, <laughs> which seems ultimately super detrimental is the best way to approach it, right? Just to, to go ahead and engage. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I find a lot of the time that like the one thing separating like you, like you hating to do something yeah. to you like not minding doing the thing is really just the knowledge gap. And once you learn more about it, it's not that painful of a process. Yeah, I guess it, I don't know if there's a particular quote, but it's that whole idea of fear being or coming from a lack of knowledge in many cases. Yes. Um, yeah. So as long as we're willing to just go ahead and engage, then likely we can get rid of that fear. Okay, fair enough. Well, let me keep moving then. Talk to me a little bit about, I mean, with the, the, the variety of clients that you work with and have had experience with, I'm sure you're, you're, the stories you probably have are pretty incredible. But based on your experience working with a variety of clients, what would you say is one of the most important principles to customer service, to providing a great customer experience? For me and what it is that I do, I think, and I think it's like a little bit more unique to most of your audience, but for me, I think it comes down to being approachable and being patient. So I work with a lot of people who tell me like, you're the first person I've ever really gone to for advice on this topic, just Mm. because I don't want to be mansplained to like in a high rise building in downtown, (laughs) someone who like doesn't understand my industry. So trying to avoid that and then just being patient when people have a lot of questions. So I try to explain things the best that I can, uh, but then understanding that it's, we all have a tendency to use industry lingo. Same thing with photographers. You start Mm -hmm. talking about like aperture and everything. Mm -hmm. I'm like, what the hell are you saying? I don't even know. Um, So being willing to just like repeat yourself and explain things in different ways, I think it's very important for um, especially what it is that I do. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. You, you talk about being approachable and the the accountant that I've worked with here in Chattanooga now for, man, it's probably been over 10 years, maybe 12, 13, 14 years. Probably the main reason that I've, that I've continued to work with her and her office um, and her team there, despite the fact that I pay a, a pretty penny for it, is that she made it easy for me to, to come and talk to her. Like, so my, my apprehensions that I had, I was able to kind of bring those to her and say, hey, look, I need somebody who can basically hold my hand through this stuff and, and make it easier for me. And the fact that she was approachable and that she really did make it as easy as possible, um, I think at one point she maybe even kind of guided me through an, an audit, that had an IRS audit or maybe even a couple of them. But nonetheless, just made it easy for me. And that was a huge help. I mean, it's, it's a principle that applies across the board. You think about photography. Have you been photographed very many times professionally? Yeah, I actually have a brand photo shoot, uh, another brand photo shoot coming up in two weeks. So my photographer is in LA. I'm in San Diego. She's actually going to drive down to my house for the shoot. So I'm excited about that. Yeah. Okay. Well, so the reason I asked though, because I was thinking about, you know, we're talking about nerves associated with dealing with, with finances and taxes in particular, but standing in front of a camera, maybe, maybe you're just like naturally comfortable in front of a camera, (laughs) but even myself being in the industry for like 20 years now, I'm not like a hundred percent comfortable being in front of the camera. And then we think about our clients who aren't, they definitely aren't used to it and how nervous they may be. If we immediately set the tone for a comfortable environment in which they don't feel like they have to perform, 
and that we're literally going to like take their hand and guide them through that and make it as easy as possible for them, the stress level comes down and naturally kind of makes room for better natural emotion expressed in the images. You just get a better, better overall experience and finished product. So totally. Yeah. The, the, sorry, the photographer that I work with, um, I first met her, she contacted me to do a consultation. We did that. And then she was a student of mine for a while. And then I hired her and now we're doing another photo shoot and we talk on Instagram all the time. So it's awesome because when she comes to do my photos, it's just like we're friends that are catching up and there's a camera there. Of course, for the first hour, I'm always like, what do I do with my hands? <laughs> what do I do with my hands? Yeah, yeah. But, you know, she's a good photographer, so she gives me good direction for sure. That's great. And I, I think as much as it may seem a bit cliche to talk about customer experience at the end of the day, and, and not so ironically, in 2021, despite all the technology and the tools and everything that we have, that human interaction and the connection and ultimately creating a comfortable environment just continues to go a long way. So it's great to be reminded of that. I want to switch gears, though. Talk to me a bit about time, time management. Um, how have you been able to effectively manage your business, but then also have a bit of a life outside of that so you don't get burnt out in the process? Well, I love this topic. I actually really like talking about systems and time management. Okay. So for me, like I'm really big into batching. So just recently, okay. I batched about eight episodes for my own podcast. After I do that, I record like all the TikToks for it the same day. And then like my VA batches those out. So batching and for like planning is really big for me. And that's what helps me with uh, some of my time management, among a lot of other things. And has that been something that has just come natural to you? Or have you learned that over time? What, what, how did you because I know a lot of photographers can consider themselves artist types and creatives. They're not naturally structured. And the idea of structure almost seems like a bad word. But was that something that came naturally? Or how did you learn it? A little bit. So for me, I've always loved to like organize like I'm a little bit more of an analytical brain. So I like to like plan and think things through and all that sort of stuff. Um, like a good time for me is sitting down with my notebook and a pen and just like planning things. Um, my biggest struggle was more elimination of unnecessary tasks. So it's one need to do a lot of things that aren't really going to move the business forward. So it's more of a process of streamlining. Um, that's what took me quite a while in my business realizing you know what i don't need to work eight hours a day just because that's what other people do if i can get all my necessary tasks done in three to four hours a day it's actually a lot of my friends get really mad at me (laughs) yeah (laughs) because my typical work day is about about four hours I, man, I, I could spend, I could totally geek out with you on this whole, this topic and we could spend hours talking about it because I a hundred percent agree. Photographers are in a very similar place. Um, I know wedding photographers in particular, they could easily, most wedding photographers could easily run their business in 15, 20 hours a week and, and do really well, um, in that amount of time. But I, I think to your point, one, our culture has kind of created this idea in our mind that we have to work X amount of time a week or we're being lazy. Um, which I think is largely a misnomer because the irony is that in the corporate world, you go look at an act a 40 hour work week and that how people are actually spending their time. It's kind of a joke, right? But th- the reality is that taking advantage of the tools that we have and putting in systems, the right systems in place, we can totally have a 20, 30 hour work week and, and be productive and quite profitable in the process. So I, I love that you highlight that. Yeah, this was, I was talking to my husband about this the other day and I asked him, 
he likes to give me a hard time too. He works, you know, he's probably in the office like 50 hours a week. And I asked him, I said, if you could cut out all the unnecessary meetings, Mm -hmm. all of the chats that you have with coworkers in the hallways, all of the tasks that are required of you, but you don't really need to do, how long do you think it would take you to get your work done every day? And he said, probably about three to four hours. And I was like, well, okay, I don't have to do all that other stuff because I'm, I am my own boss. So I'm not going to bother. Yeah. And, and the point is beautifully made that way. I've, I, we really try to encourage efficiency internally, but it's always an ongoing a challenge sounds dramatic, but um, at our company to, to work efficiently. And the thing that I say that I try to encourage our team to do kind of across the board is let's minimize the number of moving parts. There's this tendency yes. to try to solve problems with adding more, more people, more steps, more processes. And a lot of times if we just take a step back and remove anything that's not absolutely necessary, that in and of itself can save an incredible amount of time. We can automate a lot with some of the technologies and services and systems that we have now. And yeah, there's just no reason to, to always have to put in that, that so-called 40-hour work week. I, again, we could spend a lot of time here, but I do want to at least highlight, you mentioned your podcast, and I'm going to pop this up on the screen real quick too for anybody who's watching live. Um, your podcast, Unfuck Your Biz with Braden. Talk a little bit about the <laughs> podcast. Give it a shout out. Sure. So we do, I always say we, I have like a very small team, but it's really I, I'm the person behind the podcast. Uh, We do episodes, I said it again, every Thursday. They tend to be, if it's a solo episode with just me, they're about 15 to 20 minutes long. Interviews are about 30 minutes. But for the most part, every single episode on the podcast is focused on legal tips, tax tips, tax tips, financial tips, or sometimes we also get into systems and processes as well for creative small businesses. So I don't exclusively serve photographers, Mm -hmm. but about 50 to I would say 70% of my audience are wedding professionals and similar industries. And then I work with like coaches, consultants and so forth. Brilliant. We're going to link to that in the show notes because um, and it should go without saying, but we will say it business, the way that we run the business is really 80, 90% of it, right? Um, These days, and I talk a lot about this on the podcast, but you know, this, this phone in my hand, I can take beautiful pictures with it. We don't need fancy cameras and medals around our neck as professional photographers to, to, to take a pretty picture anymore. So that becomes a commodity and kind of the norm. The question is, how are we running our business? And part of that is the client experience that we were talking about. Part of it is just knowing how to, to manage the numbers, um, not just the taxes, but looking at your numbers proactively and actually running a profitable business. So I love that there's that resource. We'll link to it in the show notes for everybody who's listening in or watching live. Um, you can look for those show notes at bookapodcast.com. Let me jump to the next question, though, Braden. Um, talk to me a little bit about delegation. You like systems. So I'm curious about your perspective on this idea of delegation. Is this something you experimented with in your business? Have you found any any success in it? Yeah, so I am all about delegating. I delegate as much as I can, as much as I can afford with the hopes to do even more in the future. Yeah. But right now, I have uh, three virtual assistants they all work in a very limited capacity. So one of them probably does maybe close to three to four hours of work a week. Um, one of them does two to three hours and the other one like one to two hours. But they all have very specific tasks that they batch out. And um, yeah, that's great. So two quick questions for you about working with VAs. One, how did you go about finding VAs that were a good match for you? And then the second, maybe if you don't mind following up with communication seems to always be the biggest challenge when it comes to delegation, taking what's in here that makes sense to us 
giving that to somebody else and making sure that what you're wanting them to do can be done, that they understand it well enough to, to do it well. Can you comment on both of those things? Yeah. So I'm going to start with the second. I forgot the first question. I'm going to start with the second <laughs> Sorry. question. Okay. Uh, no worries. So when it comes to communication, we do a weekly team meeting. So we do a uh, meeting every Monday at 9 a.m. It's typically only a half an hour. And we go through a process. So um, one of the books I recommend to everyone is called Traction. It teaches the entrepreneurial operating system. Okay. But he goes through a structure he calls a level 10 meeting in that. And it's very simple. We talk about our uh, KPIs, key performance indicators. Uh, that takes like three to five minutes. Where are we? Are we on track for goals? And then my community manager highlights any, we call them customer headlines, but that's any customer support emails that we have. So that way, if she's like, oh, so-and-so had a failed payment, um, I have a question for you, Brayden, if they can't handle it themselves. And we just kind of go through this outline. And if we ever have something during the week that's not absolutely urgent, they are supposed to add it to our meeting agenda on our Asana board so we can discuss it on Monday. So that way we don't have to deal with back and forth communication all week unless absolutely necessary. And that's been super great. I love it. Let me ask, this is a kind of a nerdy question, but as I continue to try to refine my management skills, you said you do that at the, the beginning of the week as opposed to the middle or the end of the week. Any particular thought process behind that? Yeah, I think for me, it's just a good way to kick off the week. Um, and that way we can always talk about like the content that we have. So I, my social media VA, I'll ask her, like, are we good on content this week? Like, do you have all of the TikTok and real content from me? Is it all edited? Is it batched? And she'll be like, oh, well, our Tuesday content's batched out for another three weeks, but we're out of Friday content. And I'll say, oh, okay, okay. I'll record that today. So she has it. Got it. That makes sense. So perspective for the beginning of the week. And then you mentioned the book, and I'll put this up on, on screen here for everybody listening and watching. Traction, Get a Grip on Your Business um, by Gina Wickman. Is that the book? Cool. We'll link, we'll make sure to link to that in the show notes at bocapodcast.com. By the way, for everybody listening or watching, we do have a resource. If you go to boca, B-O-K-E-H, bookshelf.com, some of the most popular recommendations, book recommendations on, this, on the podcast, we've got uh, kind of compiled there. So take advantage of that. It's a good resource if you're looking for a book. Next question before we get to the main topic here, Braden, um, most impactful, speaking of business book or self-help book, would this be it or is another one come to mind? That one was pretty big. Um, I was going to plug my own book. We can talk about that. Dude, that's awesome. Podcast. No way. No shame, right? Um, but obviously, my own book, not the most impactful in my own business, right? I would say Atomic Habits was really helpful for me, probably okay. more so with um, personal development rather than business development. Okay. When it comes to business, I have like a bunch that I'd probably weight like fairly equally. I, man, I feel bad. Not I must not have done good enough research ahead of time. I didn't realize you had a book out too by that same title. That's pretty brilliant. Yeah, I could do a much better job about promoting it. So, okay. which my book coach reminds me on a regular <laughs> basis. So, if you didn't if you didn't see it before, don't worry about it. Well, t- talk a little bit. Give a little bit of context to it. Sure. Yeah. So, um, I have a I have had slash have a signature program called Unfuck Your Biz. It's a ten week group coaching program. We're actually rebranding that program and kind of launching it in a different capacity. But my book basically gives the framework that I teach inside of that program. So we go through the first section of the book is called Learn. It teaches you the basic fundamentals of income taxes and how they work. And then we go through common business mistakes, like forming your business entity incorrectly, how to fix them. And then I talk about how to form your LLC, S-Corp, when to do it. 
uh, good cash flow policies, bookkeeping systems, and really just kind of like the soup to nuts to um, not really get started. It's actually written uh, for people who've been in business for a couple of years and maybe okay. made some mistakes and now need to like get up to speed. So I, I did just a quick search on Amazon. I didn't see it there. How can how can somebody get a hold of the book? Yeah, we only sell it through my website, um, okay. not through Amazon. Okay, we can nerd out on why at a different point if you oh, want to. But no, yeah, un, no uh, uh, unfuckyourbizbook.com. So it's through my web, it's through my website. Okay, yeah, we'll link to that in the show notes too for everybody who's listening in. Again, we need that that kind of practical, tangible help when it comes to understanding and running a business. Um, it's one thing to take nice pictures. It's another thing to run a business. And, and I know that we could all use some help with that. So I appreciate you sharing that and love the title too, by the way, have you ever read, um, unfuck yourself? The there's a, there's another book that has a similar title. Yeah, I have not. I've okay. of course seen it. I haven't, but I haven't read it. I highly recommend it. It, it was, and, and maybe not even the way that one might expect it was highly impactful. Um, I was, I was just looking I, I'm again, totally nerd, but, uh, I went, I take, little notes, um, kind of do like a mini book report after I finish reading a book. I, I read self-help and business books. And I was looking back at my notes the other day for this book. And the biggest takeaway or one of the biggest takeaways from the book for me actually had to do with ego. Um, and uh-huh. like setting, learning to set my ego aside for the sake of relationships and ultimately growth in life. It was a, it was a really good, really, really, really great book. So another recommendation I'll just throw out there for free for anybody, but uh, we'll certainly link to yours as well. And in the show notes, book a podcast. And uh, let's just jump right into the topic at hand. We've already alluded to it a number of times. Um, we're going to talk about the top five mistakes that photographers are making with their taxes. Um, and I know this is a cringy topic for some, but it, it's, as you said earlier, it's reality. And the better thing to do is to face it head on. So let's just kind of jump right into the middle of it. Go ahead and list those five mistakes, if you will. And then maybe we'll go back and kind of break down each one step by step. Yes. Okay. So we have um, number one, not paying quarterly taxes and or not saving for taxes. Number two, not understanding tax basics. I think this one's very important, the knowledge, the education. Number three, uh, overspending in business due to misunderstanding how business deductions actually work. We need to focus on profit. Uh, number four, poor record keeping poor and poor bookkeeping. And then number five, forming an S-corp too early or too late. So that's our five mistakes. Okay, I'm like furiously taking notes here as you're talking, and, and I'm, I'm genuinely excited about these because these are such great points already. So let's just kind of jump right back to the first one. It, for some, it may go out with, without saying, but talk a little bit about the significance of quarterly taxes, why that even matters. Sure. So interestingly, um, today, right now, the day that we're recording this, Q3 taxes are due. So quarterly taxes are due today. Um, I posted some information on my Instagram stories. So it's, it's like something that I do every every time quarterly taxes are due. But in short, we all know if we've all been employed before, if we've had an employer, that when we get our paycheck, they withhold taxes on our behalf. So we get our paycheck, it says federal income taxes withheld, Medicare taxes withheld, Social Security and state taxes. And there's more, right? They withhold those and they pay them out to the IRS. Now, when we have our own business, no one is doing that for us. So we have to save our own taxes. And a lot of people think that they're going to save it and pay it on an annual basis. And you can, but if you owe taxes, you're likely are going to be penalized for not paying on a quarterly basis. And the way I explain this to people is you wouldn't be like, okay, if all of your clients decided they were going to like pay you in April, 
no. Like you want your money now. <laughs> right. So does the government. They have things to pay for. But paying on a daily basis, not practical. So they're like quarterly, we'll split the difference. That's when we want your money. Okay, fair enough. And uh, just to keep it really, really basic for anybody who may be even new to the concept too, is there a particular process to go about paying those quarterly taxes? Is it different than paying annual taxes? Yeah, so the process to pay them is actually very simple. And one big misconception is that we don't file quarterly taxes. We just pay quarterly taxes. Right. So it's a lot like paying any other online bill. You go to the IRS website, mm -hmm. you know, you punch in some information and then you just make a payment through your bank account. Right. And to be clear, and unless I'm misunderstanding, it, these are estimated payments, right? When you're talking about filing versus making payments, these are estimated payments based on your income. Yeah, that's correct. So the way the IRS wants us to do this is if we are estimating that we're going to owe $12,000 in taxes this year, they want us to divide that to divide that by four and pay $3,000 each quarter. So that's the way they want us to do it. The way I have people do it is to automatically save a percentage of their business income mm -hmm. and whatever amount they have saved at the end of the quarter, that's what you're going to pay to the IRS. Got it. Okay. Straightforward, but a, a really good reminder. Going to number two, not understanding the basics um, when we talk about basics, do you have a few items in particular in mind? Sure. So I like in my book and in a lot of my processes, I like to go through and teach people how income taxes actually work. So explaining the difference between self-employment income and non-self-employment income, how they're taxed differently, how self-employment tax applies. And I know as I'm kind of rattling this off, like you can get overwhelmed. Don't let yourself get overwhelmed. You're not going to like, it's not all going to sink in just on this one talk. You have to like sit down and dissect it. Right. Um, but kind of those concepts and then knowing the difference between what's an itemized deduction, a standard deduction and a business deduction and how do they work? So this way, when it comes to spending money, you can decide, you know, should I do this like for the tax benefit? Should I do it otherwise? And also, um, to give you one concrete example, I did a consultation with someone a couple weeks ago, and they received like $100,000 inheritance. And they didn't realize that that meant that they had $100,000 more in income, which put them in a new tax bracket, which meant they should pay more quarterly taxes for their business. So understanding yeah. how fluctuations in income impact your tax savings. Just a little comment from a listener on, on YouTube. This is for me. So many questions. Glad I tuned in. And yeah, right there with you. So this is this is really great, great information just as a baseline, especially for somebody who's new to business, but then good reminders too for those of us in business. What you were just talking about, though, the way that we are itemizing our spending, I think is a great segue to number three. And I'm looking down at my notes here, but you're talking about a tendency that, that photographers might have to overspend. Can you comment on that and what that means? Yeah, so I see this. I see this every year. It um, drives me bananas. Every December, I see people, they'll post in Facebook groups, like, oh, it's almost the end of the year. Like, yeah. I need to get some more business deductions. What should I spend my money on? Yeah. It's the wrong way to think about it. Okay. So to give a mathematic example, the way I like to explain it is say, if you are in the, like, let's say that your effective tax rate is 20%. So if your household take-home income is $100,000, you're going to owe $20,000 in taxes, right? Now, let's assume um, that you spend $5,000 on camera equipment. I'm getting my calculator out. Now you have taxable income of $95,000. Right. So if we multiply that by 20%, that's $19,000. Hmm. So in short, you spent $5,000 to save $1,000 in taxes. Right. So... 
I want people to think about that as a 20% savings on the thing that you're buying. And if you're asking yourself, like, would I buy this at 20% off just to buy it? And the answer is no, don't buy it for the tax deduction. But if it's something that you already need, go ahead and buy it. And then we want to take the tax benefit. That's huge. And, and I, by the way, I love the way that you broke that down, too, because it's so easy to understand. But yeah, the, the immediate the media is this. Oh, I need to I need to spend money. I needed to get a tax write off. And we're not thinking about the bigger picture at hand, which, again, you explained so eloquently. So that's that's really huge. Yeah, what? What I often see happen, this is the scary part, right? Is you're prepping for tax season, you, you think you're going to owe $5,000 in taxes. Well, if you have $5,000 saved and then you spend that to get a tax deduction, well, you saved $1,000 in taxes, but now you don't have any, you don't have any money to actually pay right. the taxes. Right. So um, one quick tip, when in doubt, if you have extra money, more money than you need to pay the tax bill and you want to save taxes, almost always the best thing you can do is to put that money in a tax advantage retirement account because that way, you know, you know what's going to benefit you down the road and it's also going to give you a tax benefit possibly. Got it. Okay. And then jumping to number 4 here, poor record keeping. And this is something I've mentioned a number of times on the on the podcast because I was amazed. I fortunately haven't heard it maybe in the last couple of years, but even until recent years, the number of times that I heard people talking about either just using a spreadsheet to keep up with their taxes, which to be fair, isn't bad altogether. At least they're doing something. Um, but you know, shoe boxes and receipts and plastic bags and you know, these kinds of things. When we have these very, very user-friendly tools at this point, QuickBooks Online and, and some of these other tools that you can just take a picture on your, on your phone of the receipt, upload it. Uh, I use a, a system called Expensify for keeping track of business expenses on the go. There are all these wonderful tools that don't cost us a whole lot and they become so user friendly. There's just really no excuse for keeping track of records on the go. But do you, are you suggesting we take a step further than that or is, is that really what we need to be doing? Yeah, I actually, so I have maybe the response that you would not be expecting. And okay. this applies, I think, to every kind of system. I always tell people the best system for you is the one you will actually use and <laughs> execute on. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I personally, I don't mind a spreadsheet um, for newer business owners. If you have very few transactions per month and you can accurately put that into a spreadsheet, that's okay. Um, a lot of our receipts now, we pay for things online. So if you save your invoices electronically, save them in a folder in your email inbox. Mm -hmm. And then when you do have paper receipts from restaurants, like we can put those in one place. Mm -hmm. But yeah, eventually I want everyone to like, quote unquote, graduate onto QuickBooks online. That's kind of the, the direction I encourage people to go. And then electronically organizing all the receipts for sure. The main thing is you just got to have it logged for the IRS. That's fair. Well, I, I guess what I'm thinking is, um, and, and maybe again, speaking too much as a kind of a workflow nerd here, but we were talking about the idea earlier, minimizing moving parts, right? If, if I have to put, yes. if I'm putting data in five different places, and when it comes to tax time, now I have to do even more work to put it all back together to get it to my accountant to do the work. I've spent more time than necessary. And again, that used to be maybe a little bit more understandable, say, 20 years ago or even 15 years ago when QuickBooks was this kind of monster of a piece of software. And you had to like burn. I remember having to burn like file QuickBooks files on a, on a CD to give to my accountant so they could then get it onto their Oof. computer. And yeah, I mean, just... Now it's so easy, right? You just share a login or, or an account with, with your accountant. They, they can log in. They can get the information do the processing. My thought is just let's try to simplify it. But you're right. It, it, not everybody thinks that way. And sometimes if, as long as they're keeping track of the records and doing so in a place that can be easily compiled and shared with their account, that's a great start. 
Yeah, yeah. The issue, like the issue we actually have with QuickBooks is, again, it all comes down to the educational component. So what I see happen oftentimes is people sign up for QuickBooks, they get it rolling, but they don't take the time to set up their chart of accounts. They don't Mm -hmm. set up bank rules. Mm -hmm. Everything gets misclassified. It gets Mm -hmm. classified incorrectly. And now it's actually more costly to have the accountant fix the QuickBooks file than to like do an accounting from scratch. Okay. So this is why I tell people, take the time to learn how to use QuickBooks. And this is why I teach it in my programs. But if you just know yourself, if you're not going to take the time to learn it, then use the spreadsheet until you can afford to pay someone to manage the QuickBooks file for you. Well, and tell me your thoughts on this. Um, I think about, again, Expensify is this, it cost me 12 bucks a month or something like that to use, but it's super, super user-friendly and that Either I take a picture of a receipt, upload it, and it'll you know read read that receipt automatically, scan it, put the information in. I might have to categorize it. Um, I also have it connected to my credit card and, and bank account so that I can easily categorize certain expenses and add them to a report if necessary. That doesn't have all the moving parts of QuickBooks. So maybe getting started with a simple piece of software like that, especially for new business owners, do you recommend that or do you suggest otherwise? Yeah, so um, I haven't used Expensify. Does Expensify do bookkeeping or is it just record keeping? Uh, it's more record keeping than anything else. It, it's it's really geared toward like corporate expense accounts, basically. Like somebody who's gotcha. on the road is spending some money and needs to be reimbursed for those expenses. Um, but I was just thinking to your point about how it could be simpler, like a simpler workflow for somebody who doesn't want to take on QuickBooks right away. That was all. Yeah, yeah, you could certainly, yeah, I mean, that sounds like a good solution. There's also a program, I think it's called Shoebox, something like that. I know there's a lot of these where you can upload photos of your receipts, right? Um, The one thing to think about, like, really simplifying this, though, is everything should be run through your business bank accounts. If you don't already have a business bank account, talking to the listeners out there, make sure you get one. All your income goes into the account, all your expenses Mm -hmm. come out of it. And this way, all you have to do for your bookkeeping is just look at your monthly bank statements. So you're keeping your receipts, like ideally you'll organize them, but at a minimum, you just need to collect them, right? You have a folder called 2021, here's all your receipts. Mm -hmm. I'm not even gonna look at them, they're just there in case the IRS wants to look at them in the future. But as far as categorization goes, we can just use the bank statements if we're paying for things correctly. Yeah, I I mentioned being audited. I've been audited two or three times, uh, and that what would normally be a super super stressful process was actually made relatively easy because I just happened to be taking pictures of or keeping track of my receipts in just a simple folder in Evernote at the time, and and those were very easily I could share that link with the accountant who of course was also helping me interact with the IRS and and resolve that and none of those ended up being real problems but nice. having all of that ready at hand to be able to share um, man you talk about lowering the amount of stress because now you're gonna have to go digging through and searching for records in this torn up receipt underneath a pile of trash in, in your house <laughs> or whatever like it just makes it so much easier and again that was as simple as just take a picture literally on Evernote and it just gets moved into a folder and you've got it for for record keeping later on so I understand what you mean about a central location for all that uh, it, yeah. for something like receipts or just the information, the records in general. How long, how long did your audit take? Was it just a mail audit? Do you know? No, I, this was both instances and I, I cannot remember what initially flagged it. it again, nothing, I wasn't doing anything questionable that they were suddenly like, what in the world, Nathan Holworth, you know, um, it's something flagged and they, 
there were a number of meetings, at least two, maybe three meetings where I actually went to the accountant's office and we sat with the agent um, and they, they looked over records and again, ultimately not, not really an issue in the end, but the whole process was just made so much easier because I had records that I could just say, here you go. Nice. That's yeah. awesome. So I'll just kind of put that little um, uh, story, I guess, out there just for the sake of encouraging everybody, again, reemphasizing what you're saying, which is just keep, keep records in a simple place, if, if nothing else. So you've got that on hand. It makes it easier for everybody at the end of the day. Exactly. Yes. And then jumping to that number fifth or number five point, uh, the fifth point, S-Corps. Talk a little bit about this because um, you, you talked about how it's not recommended to jump to that corporation or the formation of that corporation too soon. What do you mean by that? Yeah. So when you form an S-Corp and we could go, let me know how much detail you want to go into this. I can explain like mathematically go how they it. work. We can go through the whole thing. Yeah. Okay. So S-Corps in short help you save self-employment taxes. So if you're not familiar, we all pay income taxes and self-employment taxes. Self-employment taxes made up of Medicare and Social Security taxes. So this is how we pay into that system as self-employed people. And that tax totals 15.3% tax on top of our income taxes. Once we form an S-Corp, we're able to pay ourselves a salary and that salary needs to be a quote unquote reasonable salary under the law. We do research to determine what the reasonable salary is. So let's assume that we're profiting $100,000 in our business. That's our profit. And we determine our reasonable salary is $60,000. So our salary is subject to both income taxes and self-employment taxes. Mm -hmm. Well, then we have left over what I call net business income after salary. So our profit after we paid ourselves $40,000 is subject to income taxes, but not self-employment taxes. So on that chunk of money, we save 15.3% self-employment tax, which comes out to about $6,000. So that's a lot of savings and there are additional benefits as well. But to have an S-Corp, we have to pay ourselves a salary. Mm -hmm. And if you're not making enough money to pay yourself a salary, then it's too early to form an S-Corp. I see people do that all the time. Um, It kind of boggles my mind. I just worked with someone a few weeks ago, an interior designer whose accountant formed an escort for them, but did not tell them about the salary requirement. They were on payroll. And I was like, I don't, yeah, I don't even know how that happens, but it happens a lot, which is crazy (laughs) to me. But lack of information. And and I have to say, I mean, we've already gone through these five points now and and in a relatively short amount of time, but I, I feel like I got a lot out of the conversation. It takes somebody like yourself who knows, not only knows the law, but is able to explain it in a way that's easy to understand and ultimately easy to act on. It makes a, that makes a really big difference. Um, so I have to give you props, Braden. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Well, I, uh, I've explained S corps elite over a hundred times, at least at this okay. point. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's something that I, I really like setting them up. I think, I think it's like really interesting. I actually, Oh, I have this book right in front of me. Um, this is a book, a book written by a CPA. It's like 400 pages of escort fun. That was my leisure reading last month. And it, uh, taught me some new things. So <laughs> like photographers, right. You're always learning. Um, I'm sure new editing techniques and everything. Sure. Uh, we got to do the, we got to do the same to stay sharp. And we're all so thankful that people like yourselves are reading those <laughs> books for us. Cause that is not leisure reading for us. Yeah, it was a, it was a good time. I, uh, in the process, <laughs> I spent about 10 hours 
creating wow. an S Corp savings calculator and a Google sheet for my students. Okay. So now we don't have to do the manual math. I just have a lot of complex formula <laughs> formulas to do it for us. <laughs> That's which brilliant. Is, to me, a good time. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, well, again, you, you shared wonderfully practical information, actionable information here in a short amount of time, but you do have a lot of different resources. You've alluded to them a little bit, but can you just kind of sum up for our listeners from here, where do they go? Where, how can they learn more from you? What resources shall they go to? I would love to, to get that from you. Yeah, so we, um, my newest program is going to be opening in November. I actually, it has a new program name. Um, I haven't shared that anywhere yet, so stay tuned. But inside of my program, I, I teach you how to set up systems to pay your quarterly taxes, save them, how to pay yourself, if and when to form an S-Corp and LLC, how to do that. We provide contract templates. Uh, and then we even get into personal finance, like money management planning. So debt payoff, retirement planning, all that good stuff. So that's coming up um, fairly shortly. So stay tuned. Meanwhile, um, I have about, I think we're on around uh, 190 episodes on my podcast and we have blog posts on my website. I have a Facebook group. I have an Instagram account. So follow me on Instagram and subscribe to the podcast. That's what I tell people to do. That's great. And, and we'll make sure to link to your book as well. And then um, maybe when that, that course is coming out and you've got dedicated links for that, then just give us a heads up and we can kind of push it out to social and maybe in our newsletter too, yes. so, so everybody can keep up with that. I'll actually, I'll actually be launching that at Wedding MBA. So if anyone happens cool. to be there, um, I don't know if a lot of your audience is in the wedding photography field, but um, we'll be launching it then okay. to that audience and then to uh, the general public the week after. Brilliant. Well, th this is this is good. We're going to... I know I already said it a couple of times, but the, the level of practicality and ease with which you communicate these ideas, it's so valuable to, I mean, certainly to myself, but to our listeners, to the photography industry, those who don't consider themselves super business oriented, you make it really easy for them. And, and I have a lot of respect for that. And I'm glad to, to send more people your way. So you all take advantage of these resources. We'll link to them in the show notes uh, at bocapodcast.com. Uh, as well as Braden's social media, of course, website. Braden, I really appreciate you making time to hang out with us and share the way that you did today. Of course. Thanks for having me. 